I'm grateful to be here with you on this Reformation Sunday in a church that we've gotten to really love. I can't tell you how good the music is to us, how good the choir and the accompanist. I just uh, can't get enough of it. If we lived a little closer to Hattiesburg, you people would be bothered by us all the time. We'd be sitting right over there just grinning our heads off. It is a joy to be with you again. And especially on Reformation Sunday, man, I hope you're a little bit jazzed about that. Reformation Sunday. Our text today is taken from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, verses 16 and 17. A short text, but boy, is it powerful. Let's hear together the Word of God, the holy, inerrant Word of God for us today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let's pray. Gracious God, bless us with this word. Bless our hearts. Give us understanding. Oh Lord, we pray the old prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be, be something you take home to where we live, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reformation Sunday. We've always talked about the, the five solas, sola scriptura, only the scripture. Solus Christus, only Christ. Sola gratia, only by grace. Soli Dio gloria, only all the glory goes to God. And sola, if you will indulge me, another sola. Sola una gospela. Only one gospel. Only one gospel, not another. In 1517, we know the history, I think. On October the 31st, instead of Halloween, Luther nailed the 95 statements on the church door. And you think of it, Europe was dark then, oppressed by wrong church teaching, with no understanding of the gospel of grace. But on the political front, you know what was going on? Imminent invasion by the Ottoman Empire. They were at the gates. By 1629, the first siege of Vienna occurs. And the Ottoman Empire has one purpose, to subjugate the entire of Europe under Islamic rule. Martin Luther was the Roman Catholic monk who in 1517 officially led the church to rediscover the biblical doctrine of justification by faith. When he found it, he couldn't sit on it. 
He shared it and the church was shaken to its roots. The beginning of the Protestant Reformation brought light into the gloom of the Dark Ages and all its fears and superstitions. And then the intellectual and spiritual liberation of the Western world began to happen. There's much, much to celebrate on Reformation Sunday. I did know a little bit about Luther, but in my second semester of seminary, it was 1972, found myself in the first year of seminary against my will. My session thought it was a good idea to send me off to seminary. At first I thought they said cemetery, but it was seminary. And that second semester, Gordon Conwell decided it was a good idea to hire a guy, a young guy, for an adjunct professor role. His name was Dr. R.C. Sproul. Now I, being the only Southerner in class, Dr. Sproul calls me out and he says, you can call me R.O.C. Sprola. Now, you young people don't know, but we used to have a drink in the South called R.C., Royal Crown Cola. Sproul was way ahead of his time, or way behind. This guy, this guy was passionate. He was passionate about his teaching. He was passionate about the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he was passionate about Martin Luther. You got what drove Luther, and also you got what drove Sproul. I'll never forget. One day in class, Sproul quotes Luther with great animation. If the doctrine of justification is lost, the whole of Christian doctrine is lost. We came out of that class thinking that Luther was probably a pulling guard or a right tackle for the Steelers. The gospel is powerfully liberating. It is the good news that sinners like you and me can gain acceptance before the Holy God by trusting the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. And it's the gospel that tells us that, the one true gospel. No add-ons, no updates to download, no modifications, no upgrades, no substitutes, one gospel. It's no big surprise to us that not long after Pentecost, the church has been playing a deadly game of lost and found with this doctrine. Paul in Galatians gives a tutorial there to a church that had come off the rails by some false teaching on the gospel center point, justification by faith. He even calls out Peter. You remember the story? Peter is having fellowship with the Greeks, with the Gentiles. He's enjoying that time. I'm sure he was enjoying their food. And then he noticed coming in the door with the Judaizers and he immediately absented himself and went over to the Judaizers. And Paul calls him out. And if you look at that in Galatians chapter two, it's interesting how Paul calls him out. He said, when he saw that Peter was not only doing wrong himself, but he was leading the pack of brothers in the same hypocrisy. He says this, 
But what I saw, that they were not straightforward, that they were not in line about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And then 16, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Justification by faith is the foundation of the gospel message. And it's no wonder that the world, the flesh, and the devil are throwing everything they can against it or try to submarine it with some tweaking or watering it down. There are many attempts to see to it that the church neglects it altogether, treating it as a worn out historical note that didn't make the progressive bus. You are aware that the gospel is offensive to the natural man or to the sin nature in us. You are aware of that. Had the Lord not raised Luther or someone like him to leading what historians call the Protestant Reformation, you and I would be living in a very different world. We would not have the scriptures in our own heart language. If there was a church, we would be slavishly trying to merit heaven by our works and praying prayers for dead relatives, praying that God would release them from the flames of an imaginary purgatory. Good night. Don't be put off by the words, though. Doctrine is just teaching. Justification, our legal pardon, a declaration that we are righteous by the holy God. Sanctification, is just our growth in holiness. But these two, justification and sanctification, are related inseparably. You see, it's justification by faith and it's sanctification by faith. What more could God do to prove his love for us? The cross of Christ proves that he will stop at nothing to redeem us. You and I stand before the Father covered in a righteousness that is not our own. Yes, you already know that. But don't make the mistake, friends, the, the mistake that so many make to grasp this intellectually without being gripped by it spiritually. It even has an emotional element to it, even for us Presbyterians. It's the gospel, the good news that can powerfully move us. Now be careful here. You can comprehend it, but you can easily drift back to resting on your own merits to please God. The natural man, the sin nature of us, does it so naturally. Press this gospel truth hard, hard into your hearts. Your acceptance before God never was and never ever will be based on your obedience to his law. 
or your theological training or the work you do for him or even that at some church meeting you raised a hand or made a decision to get saved. The only thing that can save you or me is faith, trusting faith in the Lord Jesus, which is a gift given to us by him in his grace. When Martin began teaching Romans at the Erfurt U, the University of Erfurt, in 1517, he didn't get far into the letter till he hit a roadblock. Right there in the first chapter, our very verse we just read, verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith to faith as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Listen to what Luther said happened to him as the truth of that verse dawned on him. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressible sweet with greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, verse, verse 5, Paul writes this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What test? This Reformation Sunday, will you take the test with me? This one. It's a question. In what are you trusting? In what are you trusting yourself for your righteousness? Is it the solid rock of Jesus' blood and righteousness? Or is it something else? Is it your reputation? You're knowing the right people, you're learning, your wealth, you're trying hard to do the right thing, your best attempt at fulfilling the law of God. Some put great value in struggling, trying so hard to be better and do better. Ah, there's some kind of virtue in our culture about struggling. I sure don't want as an epitaph, he tried so hard, do you? The Apostle Paul in Romans 10 verse 4 says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What Paul's saying there is Jesus puts the end to the struggle for righteousness. One wise old guy said it this way. 
lay your deadly doing down, down at the foot of the cross. No matter who you are today, or what your background or training, or whom you know, we should all be eager to know our true standing before God. What? Did you fail the test? Wonderful. That's great. Now do what Luther did. Repent, believe the gospel, be converted, then go tell everybody what great thing God has done for you. In a Presbyterian church in Uganda, my interpreter and I were preaching probably a good sermon because he was so good, the interpreter. And we had come to the point where we were removing for all the people the things that they trusted in. Now the witchcraft stuff was easy, but it got into personalities, you know, dealing with how much the reputation meant in the village. And so this interpreter and I were going through the list and he was saying things that I hadn't put in my notes like, how many cattle do you have? How many goats do you have? Are you trusting in those? And all of a sudden, one of the congregation, a man, got it. He stood up and started sobbing and crying and confessing his sin. Now, in Hattiesburg First Pres, I don't know what we do with that. But I'll tell you what we did. We stopped. And the congregation, hearing the man repenting, began celebrating with great joy. Singing. Oh, yeah. I mean, the sermon was interrupted. But what took priority there? That congregation knew the joy of repenting and believing and giving thanks to our Father. But why do some people deliberately say no to the free offer of grace? I remember a class in seminary with John Gerstner who used the illustration when he was addressed with this question, used the illustration of someone buying an expensive etiquette book and giving it to a friend. The gift was refused. Why? Because the friend was offended. The giver of the gift must have thought he needed the book on manners. Isn't that what's happening to the gospel? When you offer the free offer of the gospel? Tell your friends, tell your neighbors to pray for grace. The grace to see their need of a savior and the grace to receive the gift of that Savior. What makes grace so amazing is this. If you're trusting in Jesus as your sin bearer, you're clothed in his perfect righteousness, and the Father, this very moment, accepts you as his perfect child. It's amazing. And the gospel tells you this. Only the one true gospel tells people who need a savior what God has done to save them. This powerful gospel liberates you from a bad conscience or the fear that hinders your attempts to tell people the good news. It's the gospel.
In Africa, the Reformation doctrine of justification sounds like this. In the words of an Ethiopian proverb from the Oromo tribe, listen carefully. The mother called to her blind son, morning star of mine. And the mother called to her lame son, straight river of mine. Morning star of mine for a blind son and straight river of mine for a lame son. How tenderly the Father in heaven sees you now. Sinner that you are, defective in mind and heart, spiritually blind and crippled, let's be honest, he sees you as you really are. Through the very sacrifice of his son's suffering and death, and paying the entire debt of every one of your sins. He sees you as beautiful, clothed in the righteousness of his own son. And he calls out your name, morning star, straight river of mine, child of mine. John has a, another way of saying it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. In my heart language of Chiluba, having been raised in Africa, it would sound something like this. Tangilai! Now, the people who brought the language into a written form and translated the Bible were Southerners, Southern Presbyterians. So Tang Eli would translate something like, look you all, Tang Eli, Mushindu Adinanga Yakutufa Yesu Tatu. Boatwetu Tubiki Dibwe Nebana Banzambi. O King James, for such we are, his children. And now it's your turn to preach. That's what Paul says we're doing at the Lord's table. It's your turn. You got plenty of time. Don't worry about the Baptists and the Methodists and the Episcopalians getting to the cracker barrel before us. Take your time. What are we celebrating? It's for people who know the Lord Jesus, of course. For people who have been baptized in his name and are unashamed to call him my Lord, my Savior. Recognizing they're his child, his brother, his sister. It's a time, too, to recognize that at the table, we're really on one level, aren't we? Paul says, uh, if you looked at the call to worship there, uh, he takes clever people and puts them in their place. There's no boasting except boasting in him and what he's done, what he's doing. So be freed up as you come to the table. 
course, if you don't believe, hold off. Talk to somebody afterwards. So one of these elders, I love these elders. One of these elders would be available. So the next time, you don't miss. Because it's a table where we're asking everybody to be members of the family, sitting around the table, figuratively, enjoying the fact that the Lord Jesus took upon himself our sin, your sin, every one of our sins, and paid the full price, the full penalty for them, because the Father took, and for the first time there's a break in the Trinity because the Father turns his back on the Son because he can't look at that sin that has now been placed on him. And Jesus can say in triumph, it's paid in full. It's all paid off. And then his righteousness is placed on us. He took our sin, okay. But his righteousness is then put in us, put on us, to our accounts. The Father now says to us with great joy, my child. He owns us. Hallelujah. Come to the table.